Hi, uh, Heidi McDonald uh, with PW Comics World's More to Come, our podcast about comics and graphic novels. Uh, live at New York Comic Con, we're live from the PW booth, uh, where it's pretty quiet, actually, and I'm here with Becky Clunan, the hey. one and only. Hey, Becky. Hey, Heidi. Uh, wow. Hey, I'm okay. How are you? I'm awesome. Yeah, right? I, I've been seeing Becky on and off throughout the show, and uh, she looks none the worse for wear. She looks fresh as a daisy, as usual. And um, One does what one must. Yes, yes. Um, so, Becky, just pretty awesome, actually. Uh, you just had Gotham Academy come out, uh, which is... Uh, well, tell us, in your own words, oh, about Gotham Academy. Well, I mean, she went came out a few weeks ago, and uh, I think... Um, yeah. <laughs> We're in a bore world of Comic-Con here. It could I have been five, five months ago we got here. Anyway. Uh, it's... Uh, a lot of people describe it as like Hogwarts in Gotham, yeah. Um, and I think that's a pretty apt description. Um, we're really fo- we're bringing in all new characters. Uh, we've introduced uh, maybe eight or nine new characters in the first issue alone, and you know after that we're going to see more and more. Um, really, it's just a story about kids growing up and how their lives are affected by Gotham and uh, also by Batman. <laughs> you know, after all, all roads lead to Batman. Right, right, right. Um, so we're you know, but. This, this, it's a book that exists within continuity, but at the same time, it, it's kind of in a bubble. It's a really safe, nice, curated, uh, mysterious, exciting, adventurous, fun bubble. Yeah. Um, that's, uh, you know, there's, I mean, this is kind of a little different for DCD to be doing a book like that. Yeah. Is that fair to say? Yeah, totally different. Um, Mark Doyle, um, it's all his, <laughs> it's all his fault. Handsome Mark Doyle. Yeah. Um, he, he's so tall. Uh, he's like, he became the Batman group editor uh, in February. And he sent me an email. He's like, hey, just so you know, I'm going to call you up on Friday. And I was like, cool. Well, I wonder what it could be about. And so he <laughs> called me up one day. I think it was a Friday. And uh, and I was working in Montreal at the time with uh, Carl Kershaw's in the studio. Brendan Fletcher, not in the studio, but hanging out all the time. You know, he's got nothing better to do. Um, <laughs> and... They were both there when Mark called, and Mark was like, pitch me something, I want something new, I want something uh, young, and I was like, I got it, Gotham Academy, and it was just just like that, literally, and he's like, he's like, <laughs> what is it, and I was like, it's ongoing, what do you think it is, like, it's Gotham Academy, yeah. and uh, he's like, would you write it or draw it, I was like, I'd write it, with the help of Brendan Fletcher, and Brendan kind of looks over, and I was like, no, oh, no, don't worry, it's cool, I got this. And I was like, he's like, who's going to draw it? I was like, Carl Kershaw. Oh, my God. And Carl looks up, and I was like, no, no, relax, guys. Like, this is cool. Like, right on. I'm giving the thumbs up. And uh, and Mark was like, cool. Well, give me a pitch. And and then the three of us kind of sat down and hashed it all out. And really, it was so organic the way it grew. And we started with the city. We started with the school. And then we put all of in the school, our main character, all of Silverlock. And we threw her into a tumultuous second year. And that's kind of how we pick up the story. Uh, all the characters act as foils for her, but in their own right, they're all like I love every one of these characters. Um, you know, a lot of people thought it was going to be like sidekick school, or you know, maybe we'll see Tim Drake or whatever. Maybe Damien will come back to life and we'll see him right. there. Who right. um, But really, the point was to start have a bunch of kids who are still trying to figure out who they are. They they don't even I mean there's not even the, the idea of putting on a costume because because they are still in that stage of who am I and what am I going to do with my life and you know 
how do I break up with my boyfriend when I don't, you know, without without breaking up with him? <laughs> so they're going through all these um, feelings and a lot of problems, and a lot of it's drawn from experiences I had. You know, wow. Yeah. Um, I, what's been the response to it? Amazing. It's incredible. <laughs> um, even the negative reviews are positive. Uh, a lot of it's just like, well, you know, I, I'm not really into schoolgirls, but I, I love it, and I'm going to read issue two. You know, <laughs> so it's been. It's been great. We had a, a I was just in Dublin Comic Con, uh, the Dublin Dice, 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 Dice yeah. International Comics Expo. Sorry, I'm I'm all yeah. over the place. Yeah, yeah. Um, but they were great, and they had a, they got the advance release for the for the convention weekend, and they ordered like 700 copies of the book or something ridiculous. And, you know, it's going over. Sound like gangbusters. Wow. Every, you know, everything has been really positive. Mostly, we just wanted to make a really fun book, um, which I think is. Being a little lacking in the in the new fifty two. Right, not so right. much fun. Yeah. Well um, Gotham is also a dark place as we know from watching is. the T V show, which is dark. Um <laughs> Yes. Uh, enough said. Now, we will be talking about Gotham on a future episode of our podcast. Me, Kate, and Calvin will be diving right in. Um, Becky, you and Brendan are also working on a book for Image that's coming out early next year? Uh, uh, February or March, I think. Um, it's actually me and uh, no, Andy. No, Andy, I'm sorry. Yeah, yes. Andy Belanger. My, yeah, and it's called Southern Cross. Southern right? Cross, yeah. yeah. Now, yeah. this is, I think... You, this book was announced at Image Expo yeah. at uh, San Diego, and it had a pretty high concept. It was, uh, that was a science. What was the what was the logline for the book that you announced there? Andy keeps saying it's like the shining in space. Right, the that's shining. what he says. Um, okay. I, but you say it's more like a petticoat junction yeah. on actually on, more of an Agatha Christie mystery. Yeah, Agatha Christie <laughs> at a at a horse ranch. I mean, no. Uh, anyway, yeah. Um, and it knows that's it's actually um, it's a it's a murder mystery set in space. Uh, it's about a girl named Alex Braith, and um, she's uh, she recently lost her sister. Her sister was working on a, an oil planet, you know, the oil refinery on a, the, the moon Titan. Which is a big oil moon in the future. Right, right. Um, big oil moon. Big yeah. oil. And uh, her sister was working there in administration and died mysteriously. So um, there's an inquest going on as to how she died and what, the, what happens. And her sister, Alex, is um, she's the main character. And she's on this journey to kind of collect her sister's remains and belongings. And it's this cathartic kind of... She's going through all these heavy emotions and dealing with this loss and the numbness and the anger and the confusion that goes along with it. But at the same time, starting to uncover what... Maybe she didn't just die. Maybe it wasn't an accident. Maybe there was something else there. Maybe she was involved with something on Titan. Like, maybe they're, as they're drilling, they, they drill right. too deep. You know, there's... Um, uh, is, so, is this an ongoing or a mini It is an ongoing. Oh, wow. Um, but it... Uh, it the, we're kind of doing it in a way where um, the first six issues is its own thing, and then the next six issues pick up, and it's totally new cast. Maybe you might see one or two characters returning, um, but uh, so so we can take kind of breaks in between and put out six issues, take a little break, come back to it later because um, you know Andy's right. very in demand. Yeah, he is. Uh, he's well, he's amazing. I mean, you know, yeah. well, you mentioned Carl Kershaw, the artist oh, in Gotham yeah. Academy. I'm Paul's like, oh my amazing. god, yeah, he's I'm, like, yikes. I'm so psyched, and it's so funny because being an art, being an artist, you know. And everyone's like, oh, you know, you're going to be drawing it, right? And I was like, no, I'm a writer now. Like, I don't draw. Now I can tell when people ask for a sketch, I'm like, no, I'm not sketching. I'm a writer. Oh, my God. Are you going Bendis on us, Becky? Yeah, yeah. You're Becky Bendis, yeah. Um, I'm actually, well, my idea is I want to, in the long run, I'd like to write and draw more for myself. And still work with writers, but on, like, a smaller, like, one-be-one-shot or short story kind of thing. And focus more on writing my own stories. And I think 
doing these books and working with Carl and Andy has taught me a lot about writing. Because um, Carl is a fantastic writer in his own right. And, um, you know, it's just, it's kind of a, a turning point in my career. And I was wow. doing so much license work for so long, and, and now I'm like, I'm sick of it. I gotta just, you know, I don't, I'm not gonna live forever. Right. You know? I gotta start putting my stories out there. Wow. I've got well, so many stories. Well, Becky, you, uh, I mean, I've known you a long time since you were just, uh, you know, yeah, a fresh we faced student. We were much younger. And you were a fresh faced student at SBA, uh, and you had an awesome class. There was a lot of really good artists in the yeah, same yeah. same year as you. Yeah. Edwin Hong is drawing us yeah, right yeah, now. Yeah, yeah. My, my star student. Yeah, but I mean, you, um, you, I mean, you've seen so much, and you're so no, young. You are I've very young. All. But you kind of, I mean, <laughs> getting, you know, I mean, I'm not even going to bring up some of the some of the things in the past, but, um, I mean, do you, you know, it's, it's a good time. I mean, you're, you know, you're sitting time. here, you're having great opportunities to just to do all this stuff. Yeah. And, I mean, is this a time, I mean, do you feel, I, you know, I don't want to be the doomsayer, but I think a lot of people in comics always need that reassurance. Like, this is not just our dream. You know, is this here to stay? Yes. Is this kind of opportunity that you're experiencing now to tell stories so many different milieus licensed in your own I mean do you feel do you feel good about this having seen all the things that you do do you think it's here to stay yeah yeah and you know what I'm I'm such a positive person anyway I mean it's really weird I mean there's a lot of you know doom and gloom and naysayers I guess Um, but I've always felt really positive even back in like 1998 when I graduated high school I was like you know comics is I'm not at the time, I could never see myself drawing comics. It was so different. I mean, we didn't have the internet. Like, we didn't have one. Maybe we did. I don't remember. I don't think I did. It I was think. primitive and slow. It was yeah. 12 baud. Yeah. <laughs> it, wasn't, it wasn't good. I didn't get internet until, like, the mid-2000, like 2000, I think. Yeah. It was in college. And, um, yeah, things have changed so much, but exponentially. And you think about how many girls you would see at conventions back then in, like, two, in the year 2000. And then think about the year 2010. In just 10 years, we're seeing half 50-50 attendants, 50-50 exhibitors, you know. Um, more girls working in the industry than ever before. And hopefully with books, you know, the fact that I've got to do Gotham Academy. Right. I was actually, it's so funny because um, Bob Harris had me into the, his office, his big corner office at DC Comics, and I felt very important. <laughs> but, uh, you know, he just called me into, he called everyone in, actually, to congratulate them uh, personally, which is very nice. And I was just like, you know what Gotham Academy is? It's bigger than just a comic. We are planting the seeds for the next generation of cartoonists. Kids are going to read these comics that have never read a comic before. And it is our responsibility to get people involved. You know, get involved in this. Comics is amazing. And if we can excite kids, you know, and adults also, because, I mean, it is an all-ages book, but really, really importantly, um, you know, and that's not to say everyone's obligated to do a YA book, but for myself, to get in, you know, to, to do a book like this and uh, to touch uh, touch on that subject matter and, um, you know, yeah. hopefully, hopefully kids reading this book now and especially young girls, you yeah. know, and yeah. that's the idea is to try and get more and more people involved in comics right. and in 10 years after that, when they grow up, they all want to be like, I want to be a cartoonist, yeah. you know, and all the schools will offer cartooning majors and, <laughs> and we'll, be, we'll be paid a lot more. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> but I mean, it's also, I mean, we'll to, get a raise. I mean, to get them reading it too. I mean, I, I yeah. think, you know, I think making all this stuff is great. And I mean, we live in a really participatory culture. Yeah. Um, but I, I mean, it really is kind of just seeing the readership evolve as well, you know, and hopefully people buying these things yeah. and, you know, digitally or different formats. Exactly. Um, 
So uh, that's that's really cool. So you, all right, so you have these two books ongoing uh, coming up. Uh, you know, Becky, we talked briefly the other day. You and I were on a panel together. We talked about your amazing. Uh, oh well, thank you. You were so amazing. Everybody on it was great. Um, you had uh, your mini comics that you do, yeah. and you know that win awards and are so well received. I mean, you're gonna and you draw them and they're beautiful. And uh, as I said on the panel, they're kind of like these very intense short stories, which yeah. you don't see that much of in comics. You know, people who can do the short form and really have an impact. Uh, I mean, hopefully, you are going to continue doing these. Yeah. Oh, yes. Okay. Oh, All right. yes. I have plans for more um, more short stories. Um, I've uh, the, the Wolves comic, which is my first one, I have two more short stories in that same universe. I'm going to do those three characters, a hunter, a queen, and a king. And I have, I did the hunter story. Next up, I'm going to do the king, and then you do the queen. Oh, you'll see. wow. You'll get everything. It's a werewolf story, so you'll right. find out the history, the curse, and all this right. stuff. Right. Oh, because there were so many mysteries at the end of yeah. the first issue of yeah. the wolves. Yeah. Now we know it's the first issue. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, okay, so well, that's three completely different stories, but mm-hmm. in those three different stories, you get the entire right. package. So there's a lot of a lot of thought went into that. Right, uh, right. It's just been a long time coming, I think. Well, that's awesome. That I, that's very exciting to hear because uh, I mean I'm very excited with your writing, uh, you know, and to to see all these books coming out. Uh, but I love your art too. Don't ever stop drawing. I'll never stop drawing. Oh. I love drawing. So, I love drawing so much, except when I hate it. Right. Um, but, you know, <laughs> right. It's like I love writing, except when I hate it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's well, nice to be doing both because, yeah. you know, I get stuck drawing. I can just write a little bit, and yeah. when I get stuck on my writing, I just sketch a little bit. Yeah. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. No, yeah. it's just it's good. Uh, Becky, I have one last question, which I ask everybody. Uh, what was the first comic you read that blew your mind? Um, it was Silver Surfer Annual. Um, I think it was number one, 1988, and I remember it. I read it so many times. I was eight years old. Um, who, who was it by? I don't remember. Really? Uh, wow. My dad got it because um, he was a big Silver Surfer fan. And uh, <laughs> and uh, he he it was a comic that he enjoyed as a kid and the character, and so he would explain to me the story about the. the and the scroll and their yeah. war and um, the idea that Norn Raj um, was in love with this woman Shalabal and um, you know ended kind of tragically and of course that was like my eight year old mind like oh my god <laughs> and then um, he has to become a herald for Galactus and he's has this burden yeah. um, Galactus is making him choose planets to destroy and and he really doesn't want to because he loves humanity and he loves life. You know, how did Stan and Jack just come up with this amazing concept, just like based on the surfing, con- the surfing and he's a surfer. fad? Yeah, it's you weird. know, it's crazy. I mean, even just hearing you my talk about it in in those terms, it's yeah. like it's so amazing. It's I mean, incredible. it's such an incredible concept. And yeah, it's such a good story, and it's heartbreaking. Probably was Kirby, to be honest. The yeah. annual probably was Kirby. Yeah, yeah it might have been. Um, it's that I can still imagine. I can still remember the cover. And uh, yeah, he's he's. Uh, Experience with all these different characters, and um, Nova was the, the lady Nova. Yeah. Who was just Frankie, um, Frankie, Frankie Ray. Ray yeah. yeah. And she was amazing. She loved working yeah. for Galactic. I know, right? Dynamic yeah. was great. And then uh, Mantis, who is this crazy <laughs> Mantis chick. She's really oh, kind I love Mantis. She's one of my favorite characters. She talked to plants. Uh, yeah. She was like a ninja. She was from like Malaysia or something. Yeah. Was she? Was she? These characters were also in this annual, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think. I think so because I had got a bunch. And see, the problem was, and I, the problem actually might have been why I'm drawing comics right now. When um, you know we go out and uh, uh, they had comics on spinner racks at like the grocery store and stuff. So I'm dating myself right now. Yeah. So now you guys know that. Yeah, I'm really. I'm good. Yeah. Well, that lasted well into the '80s, so yeah. don't worry about it. But yeah. Um, 
And uh, so, so this was the first comic I remember reading, and it was very important to me. And then the next time we were in the store, I'd be like, I want to buy another comic book. And my dad's like, no. <laughs> you know what I mean? And it was very like, I was like, why, why wouldn't you want the next one? You know, I, I don't think they got every issue. Yeah. And so I'd go for like two or three issues, and I wouldn't know what happened in between. And you'd always right. have the editors know, like, hey, you know, no one was really sad, and the editors wrote see issue 64, and yeah. I was just like, what? Are, I don't have issue 64. I know, why was he sad? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> so a lot of it was me making up things that happened in between. And I, and sometimes I went back and I was actually able to find those issues and I was sometimes disappointed. I was like, my version was better in my head. Like, yeah. And it's this idea of, from a very young age, making up stories and telling stories and, um, and that, putting myself in that world, uh, I think is the reason why I'm drawing comics right now. Wow. Yeah. Well, there you go. So it started from one moment and here she is today. And that's where it is. And here we are now. Well, Becky, thank you. Story. Yeah, <laughs> right? Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. Uh, Becky, thank you so much for thank coming you. and talking thank to you. us. I and, love talking yeah, to you. Yeah, and we will see you again later, yeah. I'm sure. Good luck. more often. Yeah, good luck with everything. Thank so. you. All right, more to come. Hi, this is Kate Fitzsimmons with PW Comics World. More to come. And I'm here with Karen Gillen of Wicked and the Divine and many other comics. And we're at New York Comic Con. Hello, I'd love to be here. So, um, obviously, there wasn't a lot of pre-press for Wicked and Divine. It just sort of was like a, a stealth bomb onto the scene. Was that a choice, or did that sort of happen by accident? It's weird. I think, like, we didn't put much about the books. We kind of wanted to have to... Like part of our experiences with Young Avengers when we did that in Marvel, which is the book we did before, yeah. was that we tried to create this structure of uh, things being revealed, and almost every single major beat in the story had kind of been leaked out in advance, either by an accident or by just standard press cycle or like some malicious people scanning pages, all this kind of stuff. And we kind of wanted to have, give the utter minimum amount of stuff and play it a little bit en- enigmatic. At the same time, we were kind of, we did do quite a bit of hype in different ways. You know, we very much aimed at. Um, uh, we're very mimetic and sticky and all that kind of viral stuff so it's like we, we we were already kind of cultivating our readers online cultivating is a horrible way of putting it we're generally kind of um, punk rock kids we come from a zine background you know do-it-yourself stuff so we're kind of like quite in the belief of low-stage community stuff so we spend a lot of time interacting with people and that kind of like by word of mouth led to you know everything that happened and really so it, it did kind of blow up in an interesting way but you know we did things like we did at least a, a two page bespoke advert so the characters ended up talking to camera and explaining the story so we did things like that which worked very well and you know and I, you know, I did lots of leg work to be honest but I phoned a lot of retailers and forgot to say buy our box please <laughs> so um, have you been surprised by the sales? Uh, they are beyond our wildest dreams um, you know we had a we had a number we would like to hit uh, we had a number we you know we had a, a victory number in our head and we had a number which that yeah, that's acceptable and we were like well over both those figures it was like, like about 10,000 of initial orders higher and the first issue did about 60,000 which is enormous and it settled down to a very you know by far uh, like five or six or seven times more higher than Phonogram ever was so yeah it's enormously um, overwhelming but it's nice <laughs> We sort of joke, it's a, it's a book about becoming pop stars, you know, and that, in some ways that's kind of the process of doing the book. I sit here wearing an Alexander McQueen jacket, which I bought totemically, uh, you know, uh, in my sort of nouveau goth fashion. It's a lot of fun. And especially, you know, this is our first American con since the book's come out. So actually seeing the people have been buying it, 
and then like, a mixture of people who knew us from Young Avengers and people who knew us from like, all over the work and people who just didn't know us at all and it's um, it's been so much cosplay you know and for like an indie book to get cosplay it's what like, at least 10 people I've seen maybe just, which is quite a lot for like as I said just a one-off indie book that's only four issues in um, yeah and it's been anytime we've been signing it's overwhelming we did a load of t-shirts uh, and we, you know we're kind of like the band thing we quite do that so yeah it's been pretty amazing to be honest I've had moments where I've sort of gone ah, this is amazing as in you know the basic love um, the, the love between audience and creator and uh, what art does to people is something that's always motivated me as a writer and this is kind of like one of the, the apexes of that so yeah it does seem like it's building on things that you were doing in phonogram um, did you how long has Wicked and Divine been in your head uh, it's weird. I mean, it kind of came. It has a very direct inspiration. It's like my, uh, to be very candid, my dad died last year, and the week after his terminal was diagnosed with cancer. Sorry, the week after his cancer was diagnosed terminal, he, uh, the idea came. You know, God's reincarnating every 90 years. Uh, uh, they do their stuff, and then two years they're dead. And that, you know, that's the really divine high concept. Uh, you know, it's explicitly this is a book about mortality and death. You know, this doesn't matter if you have two years or ten years or seventy years. Fundamentally, we have a very finite time in this earth. The question becomes, what do we do with it? So, is the run of the Wicked and the Divine going to be two years? Alas, no. We won't be that accurate. We'll be um, between thirty and sixty issues. That's our plan. Uh, and the thing is, whilst this the story is about this kind of current generation of gods, it, the, the, the fact it's every ninety years. We have the scope to do stories. You know go back and do renaissance gods or whatever you know and, and play with these you know we want like all our favourite long runs in comics the concept has to be A speak to what we care about but B be flexible enough to use it to explore things that occur to us you know I kind of want to do a Lucifer as a nun in about 1100 AD story you know that, that kind of thing like if I want to I want to be able to play if I can so between 30 and 60 issues is all I think well speaking of the cosplay um, The Wicked and Divine has very very sticky mimetic as you were saying I'm uh, so cynical when you say it like that. No, it? no, no, but, it's, I mean. it, but I mean it, I mean it in a good way. Um, the character designs are extremely visual and sticky in a way that, frankly, a lot of your previous comics have not been. Um, was that specific to this concept, or did it just sort of happen? It's kind of like pop. No, we were like, Jamie has probably done. You know, I'm going to blow... Uh, since Jamie's not here, I'll be nice to him. I think Jamie is responsible for the current wave of superhero design. I think, you know, he, between Captain Marvel and uh, Miss America and his Wiccan design and his Miss Marvel design, uh, all those... You know, these are fundamentally uh, slightly different ways of doing superhumans. And the kind of... You see some of his peers kind of taking stuff he's done. I mean, obviously, there's people like Chris Anker who kind of work on a similar line and were doing their own thing anyway. But Jamie kind of did these very practical, very easily cosplayable designs, very popular cosplay designs, uh, with underlying, you know, design sets and guy loves fashion. Wait. However, in this case, we want pop so he's applying that to the gods. And we kind of do things like we run a fat we run a Tumblr blog where we any we basically reblog fashions uh, and this direct inspiration to the gods. So we're thinking about real world fashion and we we think like we don't think of costume, we think style. Like each god, pretty much in every scene, the gods appear. They're wearing a different outfit, but they're based on a similar aesthetic. We have an understanding of what they would choose to wear, and you know, yeah. I mean, they're, that's, they're pop stars, and they have to look very good. That's part of <laughs> the job, isn't it? So, so you were going for it as part of the pop star Always. thing. Yeah, if they don't look good, they're not pop stars, really. Well, in, in yes, but I mean, it wasn't just a matter of looking good. They're looking good in very, very specific, memorable ways in the way that pop stars do. Yes, so, absolutely. Yes. Um, I mean, as you say, it's very different from a phonogram where everyone wears t-shirts and jeans, you know? 
Yes, and very similar to shirts and yes, jeans. Exactly. But I mean, it, but it's also it's also different from his superhero work. Mm. I would say in that it's, it's it has a very different aesthetic visually. Is that, is, uh, Jamie Jamie will probably say this to you if you speak to him. Uh, Jamie thinks that uh, design comes from character. This is why uh, that's why he has you know Captain Marvel in the in the jumpsuit. She, he's trying to evoke the military history, uh, and you know you have the almost co- almost the Mr. Marvel outfit is almost like cosplay. You know that looks like there's a character who is cosplay, uh, and all that kind of stuff and this, in this case their characters are much more flamboyant you know and they're all can, all the girls can pretty much magically create whatever clothes they like so there is a degree of um, you know they, all the designs very immediately say who these people are and the fact we like we're so inspired by not just the gods the pop stars each one is kind of speaking to a kind of vaguely archetypal idea of how to be a pop star that means you can immediately buy into that and try to distill those ideas. So these are very archetypal resonances you can buy into, I guess. So that, that they are kind of like, yeah, like the iconography, so, but no, right. Not. So, um, for lack of a better way of putting it, what what things are you trying to go for? I mean, obviously the pop star thing and the the, the fame thing and the dying young thing is all very obvious on the surface in in uh, Wicked and Divine, but but what interests you about what are what are you going for what's I mean what things are you trying to explore here the thing is like you know this is I'm about I just turned 39 last week uh, this is a book fundamentally I'm turning 40 these are basically dreams and ideals and everything I've ever loved and I'm kind of trying to set fire to it and destroy it and get it over myself there's at least part of that this is very like um, masochistic as a book these are like exploring anything I've really cared about and trying to understand what the hell am I doing it for and it's like not necessarily just dying young it's a question of like dying and it's uh, me meeting mortality. And the question is, you know, why am I spending my life being an artist? And whilst this is a fame thing, he's also phenomenally talented. I think some people have been interestingly confused by the book, whether it is a satire, you know, is it trying to mock these people, or is it trying to celebrate these people? And it's not. I'm trying to do very much like, this is just kind of how it is. Uh, and, you know, and that's what I'm trying to explore. And through all these, ca- it's, always, it's almost all writers, you know, that the characters are talking about different parts of myself. Uh, so I'm trying to explore all these different ways of being and parts of myself and trying to work out what makes sense to them. It's very much like, um, it is in that very, very basic kind of tradition examining it. And I'm trying to work out what I actually want to say about well, it. But what are those things? What are some of these themes? I think the most basic theme and the things, why the hell be an artist anyway? What am I wasting my life? You know, why, why, why the hell do we care about art? Is, is art enough? Is art sufficient? Can art save us? Um, you know, but those very, very, very basic, why the hell do we actually even get up and not, you know, in the morning, why don't we just all commit suicide now and get over it? You know, this is kind of very basic, that. Um, it's a book about life and death, and it's kind of one at the end that hopefully I'll find a way that makes me find a way to at least just fight to myself why we're still here and why I'm still doing what I'm doing. And I kind of want to, because there's so much in the book that it's a sublimation of like almost everything I've ever loved, and especially all the work I've done. Uh, so it feels like an end of a part of my career. So whatever comes after this will be hopefully be different. Because I've essentially, you know, I mentioned earlier, like getting over myself. There's a lot of that that drives it. The idea of like things which, if you look back at Phonogram, you know, Phonogram is a very, Cole is very much me, or like the worst parts of me, and an examination of how I was in my 20s. Uh, and trying to like make sense of it now, you know, that to make sense I mean there's a line I drop out often about Wickdiv and that you know the first phonogram Rubitania was about me being 28 and trying to get over the horror of being 30 and this is about me being 38 and trying to get over the horror of being dead <laughs> you know that, that's kind of the, the, the core thing beneath all the 
the voice and the stage play. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, I, you keep saying, does that make sense? And I'm worried if I'm making. Oh no, no, no. Face. This is this is actually one of these things that I. That's one of my verbal ticks. I tend to say that at the end of interview questions or like talk just in that kind of like, is that enough for what you want? So yeah, it's more about me than you. Okay. So, um, how does, obviously you've done a number of relatively high profile, you know, legacy books, really. Books that have characters who are created by people who are not you and will be written by people who are not you in the future. How is the experience different? It's interesting. I mean, you, you said that, and I immediately find myself thinking that I'm kind of doing this is almost like worth the hire, you know, and the fact that I'm populating it with these uh, pre existing public domain gods, you know, and I'm using the archetypes of these pop stars, you know what I mean? So I'm actually weirdly uh, casting it, as in these are things I can use, but I'm choosing, as opposed to making it from a whole cloth, I'm actually choosing it to. to um, do a cocktail of a lot of interesting influences. I feel more like a remixer with Rick and Divide. So, so from, I, I've never thought that before, but that's literally a new idea. I might from, be wrong. From the opposite direction, how is it different uh, writing something with these pre-existing characters than it is from just starting from the ground up? Uh, as in for my work for hire or for Wick and Divide? For the work for hire. In, no. in, in now, now I'm comparing that experience to Wicked and Divine. No, I understand. Um, the difference is, I was chatting to Scott Snyder about this the other day on the image panel, uh, and I think with work for hire, the, they are kind of opposite. Work for hire, the trick is finding a way to actually you to engage in material. You know, as in finding a way to make yourself care. <laughs> Conversely, the main thing with the actual um, create your own stuff is. You know, you already care, you care deeply. The problem is trying to make anyone else care. <laughs> you know, and they're, they're, they're interestingly separate problems. Like, one, there's already an emotional attachment, and the other one is actually, how can I make, talk about Iron Man or Doctor Doom or Loki, how can I make this something as a writer I care enough to actually write words worth a damn about? You know what I mean? Um, so, that's the difference with the other word. You know, and it's the other way around. We can divide as something I care about intensely, and all the crafts is being brought to bear on making this, you know, a fantasy that people can lose themselves in. And that's kind of really part of the big... We want to make a really big state-of-the-art 2014 uh, fantasy universe for, for people to sort of, like, get the twos of, you know? <laughs> so when you're working with characters that are pre-existing and you've decided to change something, what makes you decide that's worthwhile? Like, for example, how did you make the decision to make Tony Stark a character who is well-known for looking exactly like Howard Stark in many, many ways, adopted? Uh, I think... Uh, I've got a very physician do no harm element to it. You know what I mean? Uh, but but what what I'm saying is that basically when I am but given you did it, when am I give, big yes there. big but useful. It, I think it's useful to explore. It allows Tony to question things about himself. Uh, I think there's what? probably not enough adopted cats in the world in in fiction. I, I must be actually the fact they got so much like uh, adopted. Uh, how much? prejudice against adopted people I came much more aware of by writing that story because some of the responses were frankly abhorrent. Uh, however, specifically the most important thing about that is a story. Tony can explore things about himself. We can actually we can make a story question for the thing, who am I? And when we come at the end, Tony Stark is still functionally Tony Stark. It's not like I've made Tony Stark. You know, the alternate idea was Tony was made by aliens. That breaks Tony Stark because Tony Stark is fundamentally about certain ideas, about uh, the question of the self-made, you know, the self-made man, and that's kind of the question you and I have to explore. At, when you come out at the end, the end of this story, we've we've had a few interesting toys. Tony is adopted, but he's still been fundamentally raised. I think this does not change 
Tony Stark in a way that makes him completely broken or may change or to be honest removes any story anybody can tell about Tony Stark that's a good way of explaining well, it okay. however um, sorry anybody you know, like Arno sorry his brother so we've got a variety of the, the, the character is made richer by the, what the, cho- choice of, the choice of chose to make. The only way, especially a character as powerful as Tony Stark, is important to Tony Stark, that's what you've got to do to him, for me. If you've got a character who is, say, less popular, or is in some way completely broken, that's when you can go in and do major open-heart surgery and graft on new parts. Then you basically do the animal swamp thing. But, um, but, you know. but, like, for example, I mean, just how do you decide that this is the character you're going to do that for, given, as I said, that this is a character who has a history of being very worried about his genetic heritage, about having inherited alcoholism, about having inherited personality disorders, about being the mirror image of someone he doesn't like. Uh, what's the word? Mate, we just go to nature nurture then, don't we? Uh, and I think that was that was mm-hmm. kind of what I wanted to write about. And in order, you know, and uh, my yeah. one was I had to eject it uh, at the point where I did. But even then, I think the question of you know how we are made and what makes us who we are. Trust, as a writer, this is what obsesses me. You know, what makes us good? Uh, or, and I tend to write bad people. As I, in my books, I write more bad people. Uh, a general yeah. criticism of my superhero work, I spend too much time on the villains because I'm, I'm, in some level, more interested in why people do bad things and why we, you know, kind of, and probably my most successful superhero work was my Loki stuff. Uh, which was, you know, and it, that's kind of kind of simply change. That was, that was the thing that haunted the book. Um, so I just got. So yes, I just thought it was an angle, a useful angle attack, and it kind of reversed that kind of like Tony's worrying about, am I, you know, he spent a lot of time worrying, am I, you know, am I genetically, I'm repeating myself, and that made it where the hatred and the fear of that on one hand and then you kind of have that remove and you realise how much you actually have relied on the hatred and fear does that make any sense? as in once you define yourself in a certain way uh, you, anything that removes that, that that prop of your identity uh, is is going to be enormous for you so that's kind of what that's, that was at least my emotional arc I was trying to do for Tony uh, you know, I was going for like five stages of acceptance with him I was kind of explicitly mapping it uh, and I just thought it was interesting in that way. Um, and to some degree, when you got into something that big, you know, you pitch it, you put it to Marvel, and, and a change that big to a character that big, it goes all the way to the top of legal and all the way down again. And there's so many eyes in every decision, and, you know, and uh, you, you argue it and you talk very, you know, a lot of work into it. They take that quite seriously. But, you know, I thought it was a story worth telling, I guess. Uh, and it, you know, and it, I said it expanded him in that way, and I thought it allowed you to attack fundamental Tony Stark stories from a slightly different angle so I resist saying does that make sense <laughs> you said it several times during it but oh, that's no, alright no, it's a verbal tick uh, so if you're exploring your themes that you've been exploring for a long time to like pushing them to the next degree in Wicked and the Divine what does that leave you to write about in the rest of your work while you're working on it uh as in most, that's interesting. Um, I would think I am in a liminal state. So I think my, uh, like, and some stuff will be complementary to Wicked Divine. There's a kind of intertextuality to all my work. Like, if you're reading Young Avengers, there's, there's amusement that Young Avengers basically picks up after Singles Club. Like, uh, Singles Club ends with two cats in bed. They've just met and they've had an excited one-night stand. And Young Avengers starts with Kate and uh, Novar waking up in bed. Uh, so there's kind of there's a weird kind of mirroring of technique and there's a lot of themes at work you know in a, in a very obvious way you know I, I write from the gut I write from my life in the you know the the year where the time leading up to my dad dying was 
the, the theme across the world, trying to reconnect with your parents before it's too late. That was the Young Avengers, that was kind of what, you know, Tony was doing in Iron Man. These are you know, fundamental questions of lineage. And, you know, of course, and the book work we're doing since has kind of been a lot about death, you know, and, and grief and what the hell are we here for anyway. Really very, that kind of stuff. So I suspect what I end up writing about drawing, Rick and Divine, or at least in some level, whatever I have feeling, you know, wherever my feelings are then, which I won't be able to tell yet, you know. Um, on the other side, it's like, I used the phrase liminal state, and the idea that the fact I am transiting, transitioning across these five years, I will be finishing off themes of what I have been doing before. Like Uber was about, as a, you know, it's a, a serious World War Two book, and, and it has a, a fundamental arc that will take me towards the end. Uh, so its momentum will form that graph, and whatever I'll be doing next will be starting up, and there'll be, yeah, the, you'll start to hit the theme. So it'll be like a, it's like being in a club as you're fading records in and out. I imagine that's probably the best metaphor, or at least the most the most Kieran Gillen metaphor, uh, is club mixing. Thank you very much. This is Kate Fitzsimmons from More to Come, and I am here at New York Comic Con with Bob Fingerman of Minimum Wage. Hello, I am here from Minimum Wage. So, uh, what brings you here to New York Comic Con in particular? Is there anything special happening with Minimum Wage right now? Well, there's the release of the new trade, uh, Minimum Wage, book one, Focus on the Strange, which is fresh out this week in comic shops and due out in traditional, regular brick-and-mortar bookstores and Amazon and so forth, I believe, on the 21st. So you can either favor your local comic shop with some business or hit your traditional bookseller. So, uh, have you been getting a lot of interest in minimum wage or any of your other things while you're here at the cons this weekend? Uh, it's, it's hard to gauge. I mean, honestly, a show like this isn't necessarily my readership because, you know, for better or worse, I, it's minimum very wage, indie. Yeah, it's very indie. And in a weird way, it's like I think minimum wage is more mainstream in the traditional sense of mainstream. It's not a mainstream comic book, yeah. but it focuses on things mainstream people are interested. So, like, I think just regular non-comic readers are probably more that audience, people who wouldn't go to a Comic-Con. So, you know, of course, but, you know, I, I, as I was saying to somebody at the Image booth, I don't get a ton of people, but the people I get are really enthusiastic about meeting me. You know, I'll get five, but they're a really good five people, so that's okay. Quantity, or rather quality, not quantity. Uh... So, um, I can't remember if you said the book is coming out. Oh, it, well, it came out in comic shops this past Wednesday, and it'll be coming out in bookstores on the 21st. Great. So is it, what is it like being, you know, a mainstream person who is not mainstream comics as a, you know, celebrity guest at, <laughs> at a Comic-Con <laughs> like this? Like, what is the experience? the world's loosest definition of celebrity. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, you know, for 30 years I've been doing this and I'm still trying to figure out my place in this business. So, yeah, I wish I had an easy answer for that. I always come to these things and, and again, you know, it's one of these things where I think partly because I have a memorable last name, uh, almost everybody's heard of me, but a lot of people will say, I know your name, but like, what do you do? Or you used to do some mainstream stuff, right? Oh, yeah, I used to Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles or whatever. Oh, okay. Yeah, that. What do you do now? It's minimum wage. Yeah, I've heard of that. Take a look. Oh, yeah, I'll catch up with it. I'll catch up with it. So, so do you do the uh, comics arts 
that's was a lot of miming there for you podcast listeners. So, hand gestures. So you can fill that in your own heads. Sorry. Go on. Uh, so... Um, do you also do the uh, comic festival circuit with, you know, the comic fests, like, you I know, would, I, the, the ones that are sort of more aimed at the kind of comics you do? You'd think I would, wouldn't you? No, I don't do a lot of shows, honestly. I, I just did Ape last weekend, mm-hmm. the Alternative Press Expo. Yeah, that's a, that's a fest. Yeah, in, uh, yeah, but that was the only, I guess, indie-type con I did this year. Um, I'll be doing one more show this year in North Carolina, North Carolina Comic Con, which will be a nice change of scenery. I have no idea how receptive that crowd will be, but I'm a guest, so it's okay, and my friend runs it, so that'll be okay, nice. Okay, I was going to ask you, why so, North Carolina? Because uh, the great Tommy Lee Edwards is one of the uh, steering committee, I guess, or partners, and he invited me because he wanted to bring down some people who weren't their usual people, so... Myself and uh, Joe Infernari, uh, oh, really? who does a great book. He does a book called The Bunker with uh, Josh Dialkov, right. which is great, great read. So they're going to be, or at least uh, Joe's coming down. And actually, because I'm friends with one of these two guys, I'm, I'm doing advanced press for that, but uh, non-comics folks, uh, Frank Conniff and Trace Ballou of Mystery Science Theater fame will be coming down, because uh, I thought they should come down. So. <laughs> That'll be well, cool. you know, there's a lot of crossover with the audience with that kind of thing. So I think so. I think so. So what's it like returning to minimum wage after your time away from these characters and storylines? Yeah, 15 years away from them. True. Well, yeah, I mean, it's great. I'm, I'm really happy to be doing it again. I honestly never, I didn't think I ever would be doing it again. You know, once a decade kind of elapses, you just say, I guess I'm done. So, yeah, it was, a, it was sort of an, a very unexpected turn of events that I should start doing it again, but it just, the time felt right. What brought you back to it? Well, I put together uh, a collection last year through Image called uh, Maximum Minimum Wage, which collected all of the previous material, yeah. some of it a bit revised, some of it exactly as it was. And, um, you know, that was... Uh, because I pitched it to Robert Kirkman. Kirkman, back in, in the, the proto-Kirkman days, I think when he was still working in a warehouse, used to send me fan mail when he was just an aspiring yeah. uh, comic writer. Um, I think when he was doing Battle Pope, the first run of Battle Pope, he would send me them. And at any rate, so you know, the years move on. He becomes one of the titans. And... Um, Somebody else had actually planted the idea to do a big minimum wage collection. I, I, I didn't. I don't really think that way. Uh, my ego's healthy, but not huge. So I just thought, well, it's done. Time to move on. And, and an editor, actually at a different um, publishing house, said, "You should do that." And I thought, oh, that's a great idea. And then the idea took root, and so I pitched it to Robert, and he said, "Yeah, please." And putting that collection together made me decide I wanted to start doing it again. So, uh, have the sales of the collection been okay? Uh, well, the, the, the big one? The big one. Um, they've been okay. I mean, it's an expensive, it's a big hardcover, so that also, you know, automatically... Oh, yeah, so it's, it's going to stay in hardcover, it's not going to come to trade. I, th- I think it will, actually. I think it will. I just don't know when. But, I mean, uh, Eric Stevenson, uh, the publisher at Image, he and I have talked about doing a more... I guess popularly priced <laughs> edition at some point. I think we still want to sell a few more of the hardcovers, but I think that will be coming at some point. Uh, 
So how have you filled the 15 years between minimum wage and minimum wage with comics? Tell our uh, readers. Yeah, well, I, I mean, I definitely wasn't idle in that time. I, I just kind of needed to get away from minimum wage the first time around for a variety of reasons, and I, I just wanted to try other things. So in, in those intervening years, I, I wrote several novels, um, two of which actually managed to get published. So, you know, that's not a terrible track record. Um, so, yeah, I wrote a couple of no uh, the two novels that came out were Bottom Theater and Pariah. Um, and I did a bunch of other graphic novel type stuff. Um, I did a book, a very strange book called Connective Tissue, which is probably the weirdest book I've done because that was an illustrated novella. And that just puzzled, I think, everybody because it's nobody does novellas anymore. They particularly don't do adult stream of consciousness novellas that end in a comics kind of wrap up. It was it was a peculiar book. But that was cool. It was fun to do. And yeah, and a few other graphic novels like From the Ashes, which was a satire on memoir comics uh, set in So you the, did a memoir, so then you did a satire of a memoir. Yeah. I, 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 I always feel memoirs are, I mean, just by nature, they're self-important, which is something I'm not comfortable with. I mean, it's narcissistic. Even, if, even, even the guys who really go warts and all, like someone like a Joe Matt, it's still narcissism, you know, it's like, oh, my life is so fascinating, you should read it, you should pay money to read, even, you know, so I I did a, a what I, I dubbed a speculative memoir about uh, my wife and I in post-apocalyptic New York, so and you got I got to razz Fox News and the Westboro Baptist Church, and it was a way to do social satire, and that was a fun book. So, but yeah, a bunch of other books. So, it was busy. So, what have you most enjoyed about this Comic-Con at all? I mean, even just as a guest, even just as someone who's here enjoying the spectacle. Um, I mean, really, the, the, the main thing I enjoy is just getting to talk to people, either other people in the business who I only get to see usually at these kinds of shows, or some fans who come... It's yeah, it's it's the people. It's definitely not not the spectacle. Actually, the the, the crowds are, to be honest, they're pretty oppressive. So, but you yeah, know. we had a hard time getting to the press booth either. We did. So, um, what what is in the future of your comics? Late. Like, will there be more minimum wage, or are you moving on to something else? Or yeah, what's up I've, for you? I've got. Um, I mean, I'm working on the next arc of minimum wage now, so that'll start coming out in, in, I guess, late winter, early spring. I think March is when the new issues will start next year, and that'll be another six-issue uh, story arc. And I've got another one outlined after that. But honestly, after that. I'm probably done with minimum wage. I think better to end. Yeah, you want to end, end in a good place, yeah. rather than just because you got bored with it. Oh yeah, definitely. No, and I and I'm very. I mean, one of the reasons why I bounced around from individual project to individual project is I tend to be a little bit restless. So, um, just like many TV series stay on beyond when they should have, I'd kind of like to end minimum wage when people still want more rather than, oh, Jesus, end this already. <laughs> so, and then after that, I mean, I've got a bunch of other things I'd like to do. I've got several other 
actually some comic series I'd like to write that I'd probably want to find another artist for. So, yeah, there's, there's plenty in the hopper. Well, thank you for talking to Publishers Weekly. And thank you for talking to me. And welcome to More to Come, PW Comic World's weekly podcast on comics and graphic novel publishing. I'm Calvin Reed, Senior News Editor of Publishers Weekly and Co-Editor of PW Comics World. Check us out online at publishersweekly.com slash comics. All right, once again, we're on the floor of New York Comic Con at the Javis Convention Center. Um, as throngs of nerd-like fans wander by, uh, and I can see Corey Doctorow in the distance. Um, but, be that as it may, I'm here with Josh Elder and with Andrea Colvin, uh, Andrea Colvin uh, of Andrews McNeil, and we're here to talk about reading with pictures, um, uh, getting uh, schools into comics and comics into schools, if I may use your cut line. Thanks for being yes, on More to Come. Thank you for having us, Calvin. Thanks very much, Calvin. Uh, so, um, Josh, I'm, I'll jump back and forth between the two of you. I mean, I think I, I, think I wrote something about um, one of the early volumes of Reading yeah. the Pictures uh, back in 2010. You've come a long way. But actually, let's start from the beginning. What is Reading with Pictures, and how did it get started? Uh, so we're a 501c3 uh, nonprofit organization founded in 2009. Uh, and our, our mission, as you said, get comics into schools, get schools into comics. That idea being grew out of my uh, visits to schools and libraries all around the country, uh, talking to teachers, talking to librarians. My own mother is a school librarian, saying, you know, would you like to do more with comics? Okay, what do you need to make that happen? And they said, well, we need research and justifications. We need lesson plans and teacher guides and recommended reading lists. Oh, and we need the kind of books that can actually be taught in a classroom. And so Reading with Pictures is set about as an organization to address each of those in turn. Uh, and our website has those data lesson plans and that research. We're facilitating research for institutions like Northwestern University. Uh-huh. And then the final one being the content, the right. content that they can use Because it's, a, it's an anthology of, of stories, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, our, our comics that make kids smarter, yeah. uh, yes. published by Andrews of New Publishing, uh, is an anthology of educational material that we pulled together some of the best cartoonists working mm-hmm. in middle grade uh, comics today, folks like Chris Giruso, uh, Fred uh, Van Lente and Ryan Dunleavy, Katie Cook, all these amazing talents, Chris Schweitzer. You and know. yourself. And I'm, <laughs> I also snuck in there. Like I, would, I wouldn't have made the cut if I wasn't like, the editor. <laughs> well, that's, um, that's all right. You you know. <laughs> You're in a good spot. Then. Yeah, you know. I'm in, I'm in good company. Yeah, there you uh, go. They make, yes. me, they make me look a lot better than I am. No, no. Um, and each of those, we, we said, hey, what's here's some topics, here's some ideas pulled from the various... Uh, McReel, Common Core, state and national standards. Can you make an amazing story with this? Yeah. And mm-hmm. they said yes, and we did it. And that's that book. And we couldn't be more proud of it. We couldn't be even more just as proud of the. It's 180 pages. The teacher's guide is 150. Yeah. And we give that away for free. Right. And that's online. And that's you online. Download it online. Oh, yeah. Really cool. Um, now I saw some earlier volumes of reading with pictures. It's always a very impressive volume, but I think some of the earlier volumes, I mean, it, it, it sort of didn't have the, the, it seemed to me, the context that this one has, yeah. um, uh, and I'm going to ask uh, Andre about that as well, but what, what did you have to do to step up from a, really a self-publishing effort to go with a really major kids publisher that really knows how to publish for kids? I, I'll turn that over. Yeah, I guess, I, I guess you should really answer that. 
Well, um, well, he found us for okay. one. Um, I, I met uh, Josh at an ALA maybe two or three ALAs ago. Yep. It was the one that was in Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, he, we were at a reception together, and he gave a, a speech talking about basically oh, what Josh likes to say is Hooked on Comics work for me. Yeah. And it was about the same time that we <laughs> were launching our AMP Comics for Kids right. yeah. uh, middle grade kids line. And um, really trying to, I mean, Andrews McNeil has been a comics publisher for, you know, 40 sure, years yeah. now, mm -hmm. but really trying to bring comics back to kids. Mm. You know, the entire concept of comics was that they were in the funny pages to and get AMP kids to AMP is like a up. graphic novel line for middle exactly. grade kids, right? Yeah. Exactly. Mm -hmm. AMP Comics for Kids. Graphic novels, comics, illustrated yeah. novels mm -hmm. for middle grade kids. And, of course, we're always looking around for good content. Mm. And I thought, well, you know, here's someone who not only it's good content, but it's actually good for the kids. Yeah. And I thought, well, we could probably, you know, do a lot with this. And, you know, all of these comics should be good for kids. We have to all remember that kids should read comics. Yeah. Because of visual literacy, textual literacy. It's a great way to retain information. I personally read comics when I when I want to retain information about something. You rock. Go on. It works really well. <laughs> I love it when a book editor says that. <laughs> Literally everything I know about economics I learned from a comic book there you about go. economics, <laughs> which is great. Um, so Josh and I started talking. We were talking for a little while about sort of how we could partner with Reading with Pictures. And he started, you know, he sent me the first volume they did. And we started looking at, you know, the things he had added to it and what he had done. And I thought, you know what, this is, this is really a win-win for mm -hmm. us. You know, it's great, I assume, for them that, you know, adding the Andrews McNeil cachet sure. and particularly our distribution reach uh, to Reading with Pictures and it's great for us because of all of the work that they've done with schools and libraries. Mm -hmm. So it, it signals to them that we're not just we're not just throwing out merchandise. We're sure. not just doing things that we think will sell. We're doing things that are good for kids. I always use the analogy of you know hiding the spinach inside the brownie. Yeah, yeah. Know, that's that's what we're doing. Sometimes you got to trick them. Yeah. And then beyond that, we've recently extended our partnership uh, with Reading with Pictures uh, because they do create such great material for schools and libraries. They're now creating teaching guides for every book we do at AMP oh, Comics for Kids. So, so reading with pictures is really extending its reach. Um, yes. Or maybe not extending it. I mean, I, I know you have plans for world domination, but so I guess this is perhaps just another step. Yeah. Well, you know, in your master plan. <laughs> we, you know, our plan has always been to, you know, the motto really is all of it. You yeah, know, yeah. If, if the comics are good, we want to do everything we can do to help get them into schools. And we want to make the schools as excited about comics in general as, as, as we can get them. So we want to give them all the tools to make it a friction-free process, mm -hmm. to get them not only excited, but to say, I can, I can do this, and I can justify it to an administrator, to a parent, and say, this isn't just... Um, comics are comics are real reading. Comics are great reading, and that's our mission. And we've been we've had a lot of success with it. Uh, I do work for the U.S. State Department now, uh, going all around the world to teach teachers how and why to teach with comics. And and it's this amazing opportunity that that is just unthinkable to me. You know, it would have been impossible to even imagine five years ago, much less 10 or 20, and yet here we are, because there's this awesome moment and everyone's waking up to what comics can be. And we're just excited to be a part of that. Well, it is a special time. I was actually, uh, I believe it was either Thursday or Friday, I was at 
a really great library panel. I think John Shlebleski was yep. um, the longtime comics and library marketer. One of uh, our founding board members. Uh, there you go. Pictures. Well, he had a panel uh, with my Alex Simmons was on it, a round of Kids Comic Con, mm-hmm. a bunch of librarians really talking about graphic novels in public libraries. It was packed yep. with teachers and librarians all talking about how they can get comics into their classroom, how it's like engaging the students. Um, uh, uh, so you're, you're, you're on to something. Well, you were on yeah. something for a while, and you clearly saw the value in it. Um, now, the, the Reading with Pictures, the volume that we're seeing out now, is it just being published? It's a hardcover edition. Uh, obviously, it's available in trade stores. Uh, are you looking for it to be adopted by school systems? How, how does that process work? You know, that's you know, that's something that the Reading with Pictures, the nonprofit, you know, uh-huh, side, of this, that side of it, mm-hmm. is handling. I think what we bring to the equation is mass distribution. Is mass you know, in the trade side. To, mm-hmm. A parent can go to Barnes and Noble and mm-hmm. buy this book for right. their kid and bring it home and say, okay, you want to read comics? Here you go. Sure. Learn math while you're doing it. Sure, mm-hmm. yeah. Now, I, there is the, this particular volume, I think it uh, looks at science, um, language arts, social, social studies, studies, and math. Okay. Um, I mean, I guess that sort of a, covers the middle grade. Uh, uh, is there a future plans for uh, the series? You're waiting to see how this book does? Well, you know, because we're a book publisher, we're yeah. waiting to see we're how this see how it does. does. Sure. Um, but definitely, you know, I, I mean, I can see a future where we're doing specific anthologies mm-hmm. about science or about language arts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, great. And, uh, you know, obviously with attendant materials and, and just marketing them to librarians and teachers and sure. parents so they know about them. Sure. I kind of, I feel like what we're doing is bringing comics back to kids. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, what's been the response here? Because we're, we're right here on the floor of New York Comic Con. What, what kind of response have you been getting from... Uh, people walking by it's amazing yeah, it's really great. amazing people are really excited great. about it yeah. it's you know we used to you know we published big nate and we used sure. that mm-hmm. used to be our calling card people come by right. and they see big nate and they turn and now they're like wait comics that make kids smarter <laughs> yeah that's yeah. what's bringing them in so it's like, yeah. let's it's, take a look at that yeah. yeah yeah it's been really great all right it's, it's a thing that people have been saying they've wanted forever. I mean, Reading with Pictures was founded because I kept hearing the same things over and over. Yeah. We need this, we need this. And I would go and I would talk to different people in the industry, and they're like, yeah, yeah, we really do need that. Yeah. Yeah. And no one was doing it. And Reading with Pictures exists to do that, and we couldn't ask, we couldn't ask for a better partner to make this happen than AMP. And, and we're already amazed at how how well the book has done, how widely it's been distributed. Uh, we were just featured in The Atlantic. Uh, there's a piece in that. Not bad. <laughs> that not was bad. a big deal. Not, that, not the PW, is it? Yeah. Yeah, that was a, that was a really big well, deal. Well, I, I, hopefully PW will really put you over the top. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, <laughs> but anyway, uh, look, the, the, it's a, a wonderful project. Obviously, I've been following it for a few years, yeah. so it's exciting to see uh, you teaming up with Andrew McNeil. I mean, clearly... This is going to take the whole project to another level. Yes. So, look, thanks to the both of you for being on More to Come. Thank thanks you. Thanks so much, Calvin. Yeah. All right.